First John chapter two. First John chapter two. We'll be starting in verse eighteen. If you're typing it in. Um, so we we started First John a few weeks back. First um, John is is a letter sent from the apostle John, um, who is an elder at the church in Ephesus, to churches in that region. It's kind of a circular letter working its way through that region. It's why there's not a specific recipient that's noted, because there's what's going on there. There are false teachers who have been affecting the churches. They've, they've either been coming in and teaching that Jesus wasn't deity, um, or they're teaching that Jesus was deity, but he wasn't human. Um, and and they're, they're bringing about a lot of confusion. Some of them are, are taking people out of the church. And so John is writing a letter to these churches where this is taking place, um, looking to give assurance to give some kind of criteria for how those in the church can balance what they're hearing from the false teachers, how they can know that what they have is truth, um, how we can have assurance of what it is that we have in the gospel. Um, and, and the fact is, is John probably has a greater sense um, of impact in our own lives right now, because for many of us, for the first time in our lives, the world feels like out and out hostile to our faith, right? Like it's not just, we know there's folks who don't believe or there's folks who don't like it, but that it seems like the tide is, is growing of just kind of hostility towards the church and towards the gospel. And so John is really looking to, to minister to people, to pastor people going through that very specific situation. Um, and, and so what we did two weeks ago is John lays out two kind of tests to know whether or not you should have assurance of faith or whether you have somehow fooled yourself. And so one of them was a moral test, right? Like, do you obey Jesus? The second was more of a social test. Do you love believers? And the third test we're actually going to get into this week. Last week, he kind of takes a brief aside and steps out of those first two tests and just says, hey, and I want to make sure that in the midst of this, as we're testing what do we believe and what do we do and how do we love Man, we cannot forget that the whole point, the whole focus is that our affection for Jesus would be continually stirred, that it would be growing, that we would see Him as enough and as sufficient, that we would love Him. And so John's primary concern is to stir our affection for Jesus as well as to give us some assurance and some ways to kind of have criteria and some tests in our life to whether or not we should have assurance at all. So let's pick up in 1 John 2 beginning in verse 18. Remember, John is older. He loves to, to call the folks in the church children. Um, it's just kind of pastorally here. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, were, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, have, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father... And the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. All right, so I would imagine there was some ears that perked up at the mention of the Antichrist, all right, that you're thinking, well, this just got interesting, right? Um, just so you know, we will not be compiling a probability list of who is the most likely Antichrist currently in society. Um, you can do your Google searches for that. Go get your top 10. There's kind of a, a constant flow of, of who people want to point and say is the Antichrist. We will get to that section in a second. Um, but I want us to, to be reminded quickly, right, that, that John is looking to assure and he's looking to equip, that he is doing the pastoral work of making sure the believers in these churches are taken care of, that they're not led astray, that they're not um, tramped down, that they're not feeling destroyed or forgotten or lost or feeling like that they, they, there's no way to know with what they believe is true. And last week I mentioned um, that as Carson is getting closer to the teenage years and right, there's this tendency for there to be more tension um, in, in parental and kid relationships as that comes, as hormones enter into play and those type of things, that we want to, we're trying to be proactive to kind of let her know some of the things that are coming. Because when, that, when we do, right, and that happens, she goes, oh, you're not as dumb as I thought you were, right? Like, you, you were actually able to tell us, that, tell me that this was coming, right? Scripture does the same thing for us. It doesn't go, hey, watch this. They're going to get blindsided, Scripture is really honest with us, and it says, hey, there's going to be those who are coming who are going to look to lead you astray, that are going to look to deceive you, they're going to look to harm you, they're going to look to poke holes in your faith and in your belief, that things aren't necessarily in society going to get better, they're going to get worse, but in the end that we know who wins, right, that Scripture doesn't like sugarcoat things and say, oh, I had no idea that was coming, like, it, it's, it's honest with us. It, it, it warns us that we have an enemy, and the enemy is warring against us. And so here's the scene that is taking place, right? The church is going, hey, there's some folks that we know, that we love, that were probably leaders that, that, that had following, and all of a sudden, they're saying some things, John, that are disagreeing with the gospel, and they've left us. Like, and not only have they left us, but they've taken folks with them. And now they're, they're still coming for more of us. And, and what they're saying is they're claiming they have superiority and they have some knowledge and they have some experience that we need. And we don't have that. And, and right, there's, there's panic and there's fear and, there, and there's confusion. There's probably some anger of just like, man, why is this taking place? And John is looking to minister to this specific setting. That as they claim new knowledge and new experiences, they're actively trying to deceive. And he, he addresses this. Look at verse 26. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He's not saying, oh, it's a misunderstanding. Right? They're just saying things a little different. It's like, no, there's deception. They're, they're trying to deceive you, and I want to minister to you. And so let's, let's lean into the first couple verses here as we look at the last hour and the Antichrist, or Antichrist, multiple. Verse 18, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, and therefore we know it is the last hour. All right, so these are the type of passages that people love um, to find and to say, okay, we're going to have some fun with this, right? And, and we start to try to deduce things and figure things out. Um, the last hour is this, is that we are living between the two comings, okay? That Jesus has come for us, and at the, at the cross and then at his resurrection, he inaugurated, he brought in a new age, and the old age is passing away, right? We see this. John reminds us of this. Look at, at verse 17 that we looked at uh, just last week. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. We see it also in verse 8 of chapter 2. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. So when Jesus comes into the scene at the right time, God sends him into history. He lives the life that we could not live on our behalf, dies the death in our place, and then defeats sin and Satan and death and lives today. A new age was brought, to, brought forth. And until he splits the sky and returns for us, the last hour is now. We are in the last age. And so there's this already and not yet at play, that we already have hope of salvation. We've already seen the power of sin broken, and yet the presence of sin remains and still affects, right? That there's, there's, there's this battle going on and deception that is possible. But we know what truth is, and we know what light is, and we know what hope is, and it's found in Christ. And so we, like the, those that are receiving this letter from John 2,000 years ago, roughly, we are living in the last hour, in the last age. And look, God is outside of time. And so if you feel like 2,000 years is too long for it to be the last hour, right, that, that, like that's our issue, not God's issue. Right? Like he is patient, longing for none to perish. And so we, he doesn't measure time like we measure time. He's not up there going, they're going to start to doubt the last if it's been this long. We, we are living in the last age between the comings. A new age has dawned. John is actually the only writer who even uses the term antichrist. And he uses it four times, twice here in chapter 2, once again later in 1 John, and then once in 2 John. And so what we see here from John is that there's, there's really there's two types going on here, right? So he tells us, look, children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, you've heard this, so now many have come. And so he's going to tell us who the Antichrist, the multiple, are. Look down at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now remember, what are the false teachers teaching? 
that Jesus isn't God and man. He can be one or the other, but he can't be both. And so he's saying, look, if you deny the Christ, if you're denying Jesus, then you're also denying the Father. You don't get the Father apart from the Son. And so the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is this. It's anyone who's going to deny Jesus. And so there's kind of a, a spirit of like the Antichrist, right? There's this, this attitude, this belief, this feeling that pushes forward. And so there can be many who are going to teach and lead those away from Jesus. But John is also saying there's going to be one that's going to kind of be like the, the guy. And he's coming, but in the meantime, the spirit of the Antichrist are here and present. Listen, if John is writing for them to be alert then, right, how much more do we have to be on guard now? Right, that he's saying, look, you have a warning. There's going to be issues. And there's going to be those who are looking to lead you astray. Even Jesus warns us of this. Look, if we look in Matthew 24, verse 24. Here's how Jesus says it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise, and they will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Right? He's saying, look, there will be those who will come and say, Jesus wasn't the Christ. I am. Or he or someone else is. And they're going to look to lead you astray. That's the spirit, right, of the Antichrist. And he's saying, and then there will be one who will kind of like top them off someday, who will be the one who will, will point away from Jesus utterly and completely. Right? So I want you to imagine now the audience hearing this. These are people they know and people that they love. And John's saying they have the spirit of the Antichrist in them because they're looking to deceive you and to lead you astray. Like, these are not soft words of, like, they're misunderstood or they just need to get some theology. Like, he's saying they are looking to deceive you and to walk you away from Jesus. This would have been shocking to them. And John is also letting them know, look, them leaving, it reveals something about who they are right? That they were not a part of us, that they were never of us, even though they appeared so, right? He doesn't give a length of time of like, hey, if someone's around the church for at least six months, all right, take a deep breath. They're not going to leave, right? It could be a long time. People can fake, talk, look, make decisions, teach Bible studies, do all of these things as believers, making you believe they are fully, right? He, he's not saying, hey, you know that guy that was weird, right? We all knew he was weird. Well, he finally left. He's saying these are the folks that you knew and that you loved, right? It's why he's wanting to give them assurance. And part of the assurance he's going to give them is perseverance, that how do you know you're in Christ? That you're still in Christ, right? You still are trusting and following and loving him. And so their leaving has revealed they were never belonging to Jesus. They weren't His. Listen to what Scripture says here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 
Therefore, do not, this is verse 5, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, right? So when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. So he's saying, look, we can hide things. We can hide them from one another. They will not be hidden from God, right? He will reveal them. And he's saying, so these folks who have left the church now, they have revealed who they are truly and genuinely. Luke chapter 12, verse 2, says this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Like, Scripture is warning of this. If you're faking this, one, why, right? Like, why? But two, it will be found out. You're not hiding it from the Lord. And when you leave, others will see that you were never a part of us. You weren't who you claimed to be. Paul, in Acts, is writing to the Ephesian elders. He's talking about what he told them as he's leaving. He says, hey, you've got to stand on guard. Beware, because wolves will come from your midst looking to devour the flock. John is an elder in Ephesus. Paul warned them this was going to take place. It's now taking place, that they have come from within looking to, to devour and to destroy the flock. So he's telling them, Here's what assurance is. Assurance is the belief that Jesus is the Christ. If you have the belief that Jesus is the God-man, the rescuer sent by God, the Son who restores us to relationship with the Father, if you believe this, then you have the Son and the Father. If you deny this about Jesus, you have neither. And so our assurance is the, right, the, the test he's given here is, do you have the right belief? And the right belief is, how do you view Jesus? Right? It's the reason so many people are comfortable talking about God. And when you start talking about Jesus, you start drawing some uncomfortable lines. It's the reason that so many cults and, and, and false teachings and religions in the world, they don't try to get rid of Jesus. They, they bring Jesus in. They just want to, like, go above him. Right? So Islam doesn't say Jesus never lived. They just don't see him as, right, the Savior, as, as both God and man. He was just a man. Right? There's a religion um, not familiar in this area, but is, is one of the faster growing ones in the world called Baha'i. And Baha'i, right, they, they kind of view the prophets that have come. Um, almost like grade levels, right? So, um, you know, Adam is like grade one, and then you have Abraham, he's grade two, and Noah's grade three. Well, Jesus ends up around your sophomore or junior year. Muhammad comes after him, and then the last one is their prophet, right? Baha'u'llah is his name. And so he's like, they're like, man, we're not going to make you get rid of Jesus. You can keep Jesus. You just got to take what we got too. And so they, they, their focus is education um, it, it, and it's, it's a lot of things that are very appealing to our modern culture and society. And they're like, and you get to have Jesus. You just have to take what we want to give you too. Right? And so what John is saying is, look, when people come around and they start wanting to take from Jesus or add on to Jesus, they're looking to deceive you. They're looking to take you away from the Father because if you deny the Son, you don't get the Father. All right, 
Do you notice what John doesn't do? He doesn't say, hey, I know they've left, but as long as they walk to the aisle, they have all the assurance they need. Hey, they prayed a prayer when they were seven, right? They have all the assurance they need. He says, the assurance here is what? Is that they're obeying Jesus, that they're loving their brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is the assurance you need. It's not a hard test. It's a simple test. But church, we, we live in an area where um, we espouse once saved, always saved, to, to potentially a really dangerous level. That we have, we've convinced folks, right, man, you, you twist their arm, you do whatever you've got to do to get your kid to pray the right prayer in VBS, right? And then whatever happens as they get older, they're good. It's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture does teach us if we're saved, we will always be saved. But that there is a room here for those who will look like the church and look like believers for a period, and then they will walk away so that it's revealed that they weren't a part of us. Now, here's the thing. John then does not slam down condemnation and say, and now they are damned forever. He does not say that. He just says, this is what we have to believe to be rescued. And when Scripture teaches us the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And so walking away from the church for a period does not make you irredeemable. It doesn't mean that, well, you had your shot and now you're done. Jesus loves and he pursues and he rescues every, from every situation, from every type of hard-heartedness, from moral decay or from religious faking, whatever it is, right? He, we're not too far gone. His grace can go beyond. And so we have hope today, but we need to be honest about, right, if, if someone was to look at your life and the only fruit that you could claim for salvation is that someone remembers you praying a prayer years ago, John's saying that's not assurance. So we need to think differently about how we pursue people and how we pray for people and, and the assurance that we give our children and our young adults as they're growing up is and are you still following Jesus? Are you hungering for him? Are you thirsting for him? Right, like that perseverance is the mark of a believer, that we just keep at it. And it's not that the Lord is saying, all right, if you walk with me long enough, I'll make sure your salvation's good. He's just saying it's endurance is a hallmark of someone who's been rescued, of someone who's, who's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That you persevere. So, knowing that we have an enemy and that there's deception looking to be taking place, that we have someone looking to deceive us, there's, there's three things I want us to look at briefly this morning. Some ways that we can be deceived because if we look at verse 8 of chapter 1, right, John reminds us, we can say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like, we have to be honest this morning, church, that we can be duped that we can be deceived into thinking that we're something that we're not. That's why John wants to talk about our affection, not just do you have knowledge of Jesus, do you have affection for him? Do you have the right belief, not that those things save you, but they're marks of one who, have, who has met Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can have a desire as the church for things that are new and different. 
right? And we begin to leave that from which we heard in the beginning. And we can look for something that's a shortcut or something that will unlock something for us or make things easier or give us like, oh, this is the secret. I unlocked this and now my Christian life is easy. And there's the reason there are hundreds of thousands of Bible studies and books and thoughts out there of saying, just do this, right? And, and it's, it's trying to build upon Scripture. Look, it's not that all Bible studies right, are wrong. We, we obviously want to study the Bible. But what John is telling them is, are you gr- grounded? Are you rooted in Scripture? Because that's what's going to save you. That's the message that we've heard. And if we're not careful, we can be drawn to experiences, to new words, to new knowledge, to feel superior to others and say, I figured it out. Like, I've got this thing that you need, that you want, because it gives us control, or we feel like we have some access or control of God. It's why, right, cults, other religions are often attractive, right, because they're trying to give you some knowledge, some experience beyond Scripture, and they start to claim they've had a revelation or a thought or a belief or a book or some word goes above Scripture, and now it helps you understand it. And John is saying, we've, we've been given what we need. We've been given God-breathed Scripture. It's everything we need for life and godliness. And when we start to say, I've got something that, that makes this, it trumps this, it goes above this, it goes over this, you've got to watch out. Because we're leaving that which we heard from the beginning. The second is this is that if we're not careful, we can be impressed with signs. And Jesus has told us in Matthew 24, there will be false prophets and false Christs who come, and they will wow with signs and miracles and wonders. Right? And so we have, right, there, Scripture's warning us, there will be those who will come and will do things, and it will make you go, is that from God? And, and maybe this morning you're like, I wouldn't be suckered by that. No, no fear of that. I'll be vigilant. Not going to be suckered. But, but if we're honest, we get suckered by far less often, right? Like that we, sometimes we look at, at churches, and as long as someone um, is successful, or a minister is successful, or has written books, and has a grand following, and is doing all these things, and has a public pl- platform, oh, they couldn't be doing that without God. God's blessed that, so that must be of the Lord. And we just start to like blindly follow without considering is what they're teaching from Scripture or not? Does it line up with what Scripture has revealed and what the Holy Spirit is affirming in our spirit? Or do we just go, it's successful, must be from the Lord? That's why Scripture warns us. There will be those who will do impressive things, and it does not mean it's from God. And they can say that it's in the name of God, and it doesn't mean that it is. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and says, I want you to be grown up to the fullness of knowledge and rooted in Christ and not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every cunning deceit. Basically saying, hey, when someone comes up and teaches you, you're like, oh man, that's great. Never heard anything better. Oh, this guy's got something new for me. That's brilliant. This guy's doing really well. I think this is true. And he's like, you're being tossed to and fro because you're not rooted in Scripture. You're not rooted in the Spirit. And so he says, you're just bouncing around to whoever is the last one to catch your ear. 
So John is saying, look, the assurance that we have is that we are rooted in the Word of God. That we believe that it is the message that we first heard from the beginning, and we keep it because the false teachers are saying, hey, church, we know you got the gospel. But I had a dream. But I had a vision. But I met an angel. But I heard something. But I have something. I understand something. This word doesn't mean what you think it does. It means this. And so now it unlocks everything. So come and follow my way. And, and, and so that's why John tells them, you don't need new teachers or new knowledge. You have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Listen, John is not opposed to teachers. Scripture obviously is not opposed to teachers, but he's telling them, you don't need the guy who's always claiming he's got the new thing. You need the old thing, the faithful thing, the consistent thing. Listen, we have a desire for new and different that can lead us astray. We have um, an a tendency, especially in our culture, to be impressed with large and big and impressive size. And the third thing is this, that ultimately the goal of our enemy is to just make us ineffective. And so that could be that you follow false teaching, and so now you're ineffective for the kingdom, that you're led astray, that you're deceived, or he could just muddy the waters with indifference to the things of God. That you still have the right belief, you still love your brothers and sisters, but you just get so bogged down with the things of this world that in the end you just become ineffective. Right? That we, we're about cars and houses and money and retirement and legacy and relationships and power and influence, these type of things, right? And we're like, yeah, I got it. I have I've won life. And it makes me think of Right, you take your kid to an arcade or the carnival or something, and they play the games and they walk and they got this like you see kids walking to this big ball of tickets, and they man they think they're loaded like they're just like I am rich in tickets, and I'm about to like lay them out and I'm going to buy it all. And as a parent, you're looking going, you're going to buy a load of crap, right? Because all those plastic little trinkets, you won't even have them in a week. They're junk. They are worthless. Right, and they're, all they're thinking is, I am rich. And you're going, you got nothing. But church, often some of us were walking around going, I'm rich. Look at what I got. And the Lord is saying, you got nothing. You got nothing. And it's why Paul, if we remember in 1 Corinthians 3, remember what he, what he tells us? He says, there's going to be a day where we're going to stand before the Lord. And for believers, right, you're going to stand before him too. And he says, listen, in verse 12 of chapter 3, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It'll be shown for the day. Judgment day is going to disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done, the life that you've lived. If the, work, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, right, it was eternal, it was for God's glory, you're honoring him, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as the one through fire. 
right? He says, we're going to walk before the Lord someday with our life, with our motives, with our things, with our intentions, with our relationships, and we're going to walk through a fire. And on the other side, the Lord is going to be standing there, and he's either going to hand you a reward saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You saw what the enemy was trying to do, and you lived a life for my name and my renown and my glory that was rooted in Scripture. And here's your reward. Or we're going to walk through, and we're going to be smoking because everything in our life got burned up. It was all for naught, and it will be seen as being all for naught. And it says, look, you're not going to lose your salvation in that moment, but you're going to come through like, like with smoke coming off of you, like as one who's just barely escaped from the fire. And you're going to have nothing to lay at the feet of the king. Right? Paul, John, they're trying to say, look, the way that we look at this life matters. And what are we rooted in today? Because the enemy is looking to deceive you. And some of you haven't bought the false teachers, those type of things, but you've bought into the ineffectiveness of just loving this world too much. And your salvation is secure. But that's it right now. John tells them, Verse 25, this is the promise that he's made to us, eternal life. Listen, if we have eternal life promised to us, it frees us up to live really free, really free and unencumbered in this life because I've got eternity. So I don't have to accomplish everything. I don't have to store up everything. I don't have to impress everyone. I just want to please my king, the one that for eternity I'll stand before. And so I want to to line up my life to honor and to know him. And so as we finish this morning, he gives two safeguards, right, to make sure we're not being ineffective. Look down at verse 24. So the first one is this. It's the word. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning, meaning the gospel, the truths of Scripture, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And in this is the promise that he's made to his eternal life. He's like, you stay here. Stay in this. It will root you to the King as we follow him. It's, it gives us everything we need. We do not need additional. It is God-breathed. And so the question this morning for us would just be this, are you in it? Do you see it as this lifeline that's keeping you tethered to the king, that's helping you discern, right, deception that is coming your way, either in false teachings or in simply being too entranced with this world and this life? And the second one is this, verse 27, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he he taught you, abide in him. The anointing that you have received from him, meaning from Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. That you have been given not just the word of God, but you have been given the spirit of God within you. And he's saying these two things. We don't hold up the word at the expense of the spirit. 
And we don't hold up the Spirit at the expense of the Word. He says you need them both. You need the Word and the Spirit. And these two, these twin safeguards will guide you through life because you'll be rooted in truth and you'll have the Spirit saying yes to that, no to that, follow this, no to this, yes to that. Because in John 16, 13, we're reminded what the Spirit does. Besides being comforter, besides being a down payment of salvation, that we know that all the promises are true. In John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will take you to truth, not away from the Father. And so we know if the Spirit is guiding us or something else is guiding us when it's filtered through Scripture. So the disciples walked with Jesus for three plus years and, and, and just kind of fumbled it a lot. And yet when the Spirit came, all the things that Jesus had taught them snapped into place. And it was like, oh, it makes sense. I understand why he did that. I understand why he said that. And it's why we see John and Peter and these men being different because the Spirit breathed life into the truth that Jesus had taught. Listen, church, this morning you probably highlight one over the other. You're either kind of a spirit person and Scripture's there, or you're kind of a, a Scripture person and the Spirit's there. And John is saying that the twin safeguards were given is the Spirit, which affirms the truth, and the truth, which affirms the Spirit. We get them both. We get a, kind of a checks and balance thing going on here. And there's no room for pride in your Bible knowledge this morning because you've been given something and you've had the Spirit Disciple and affirm this in you. The word last week is what makes us strong and able to overcome the evil one. And this week it's a reminder that it's what allows us to persevere in Christ. It's what allows us to pursue him. Listen, this, nothing we've said this morning is difficult. Right? It's not hard to understand or to comprehend. It's just not easy to live. But he has given us the spirit to empower us. He's given us his word to guide us to light our steps to persevere in Him. So I hope it begins to stir something in you that you need this more than you think you did when you walked in this morning. And if you walked in saying, I value this more than anything, you need it more than you already think you value it. That our motivation for it is to stay in communion with God. To not be indifferent to it. Not to leave it to others to explain only what it means, but to let the Spirit bring us to truth as well. When we abide in the Word and when we abide, remain in the Spirit, we get the Father and we get the Son. And we have assurance of salvation, which means eternal life. This morning, if your assurance is in something other than that, then it's not where Scripture would have you rooting your assurance. Would we trust what the Word of God has taught us? Let's pray.